Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod. And man, I'm excited to be talking about today's topic. One of my favorite topics we ever did here on Foley is Pod about a match that Mick Foley believes is still one of the greatest matches of his career. I think it might be the sleeper match of 1996. I think it gets a, it becomes really crowded to talk about the best and most memorable match of 1997, at least for me, but for 96, this is it. Of course, I'm talking about the clash that went down in September of 1996 in Philadelphia. It was called in your house mind games where Shawn Michaels would defend his world wrestling federation championship against the maniacal mankind. My favorite version of mankind, not the polite Mick Foley who wore the mask and had a button up and a tie and maybe some sweatpants, but the crazy guy who looked like he had escaped a mental asylum. It was just an unbelievable performance as a character, but then the bell rang. And unlike when Bruce says that, man, it was phenomenal. You saw a different side of Shawn Michaels, more aggression, a harder edge. It's one of my favorite matches that Sean worked in 96 too. And I know there's a lot of people who love his match with Bret Hart. I'll concede that that is a famous WrestleMania match. And then I think most people agree. He just stole the show with diesel. Good friends, better enemies. Another phenomenal performance. There's lots of fun matches that Sean had throughout 1996, but to me, this is my very favorite one. Also enjoyed his match with Sid a couple of months later at survivor series, but this match against mankind, I think is the best title defense of his entire title reign and probably one of Mick Foley's all time best matches. Like I love cactus Jack versus triple H at Royal rumble, but this match was so new in the mankind run and he was just the perfect opponent for Shawn Michaels. And I'll never forget the pre-show interview. If you're going to go watch this match and I recommend you do watch Sean's promo beforehand. This is before promos were all the way scripted. And he says something so awesome about how you're trying to play mind games with me. Well, lucky for me, pal, there's not much up there. I don't know why, but that just tickled me. It was fantastic. I love this conversation with Mick Foley. I think you will too. We're talking about in your house, mind games. We're also going to have some sidebars, you know, talking about Mark Henry and gold dust licking his ear, those ECW invasions, because one happened earlier in this very show. And of course, this is where we debuted the premiere of Mick Foley's fabulous song, Mr. In your house, perhaps no pay-per-view personifies him being Mr. In your house more than this one. As Mick always says, nobody came through bigger when it mattered less than Mick Foley. He is Mr. In Your House. This is perhaps the shining example of what a pay-per-view world heavyweight championship defense could look like with an edge, not just technical wrestling, but a damn fight in Philadelphia of all places. Check it out. We relive the magic of In Your House Mind Games with Mick Foley right here on Foley is Pod. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, the hardcore legend himself, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? Conrad, I am doing great, but in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I've got some serious blockage in my left ear. Throws the equilibrium off. Wow. Um, how dating, does that happen? 
It's just uh, it's just a thing. Some people get a buildup of <laughs> earwax and others don't. So when I wrote uh, um, um, Have a Nice Day, how can I forget the name of my own towering New York Times number one bestseller? I talked about my mom irrigating my ears and how things the size of marbles used to come out of there. Wow. So I believe we've got an orange marble stuck in there. It's just throwing me off a little bit. Throwing me off. I did cross my mind that we could probably go viral if we did the show while you irrigated my ears, but uh, I didn't bring my kit with me. Can we do it next time? <laughs> well, I, I'm going to try to get this ear, this uh, blockage removed. Well, now, w- what does that look like? Are you putting peroxide in there? Well, peroxide s- softens it up, and then you can either take a bulb syringe or in a doctor's office, they've got something a little more powerful, and it basically just, you know irrigates that ear and then the wax will come to the surface and come floating out into a little bin. So I have to do this soon. (laughs) Like I'm jealous. I mean, we could have, we could have made this happen. You know, my wife's in the medical field. I could have had her up here to do it on the air. You want me to just, I, I come up, you know, every, every, you know, interest of full disclosure, I come up every, come down every two weeks to record live. Can you power through for two weeks? Knowing, yeah, the you know, the, you know, the gold at the end of the rainbow, yeah, I can. The gold at the end of yeah. the ear canal, ear canal. So yeah. yeah, we will do a live irrigation on an upcoming episode. That's hardcore. Right, yeah, I have to. I mentioned you off air. Kevin Nash really hitting his stride on his uh, click this. Fantastic show. We have to be able to compete, and I don't think Kevin's doing live ear no. ear irrigation. I might go so far as to say this will be the first ever live irrigation <laughs> on a wrestling <laughs> podcast ever. And can I say up front? Man, this is a big moment in the show because what the other shows don't, Road Dog, you know, just uh, incredibly quick wit, right? Yes. Jeff Jarrett brings uh, a lifetime of wrestling experience. 50 years. Yeah. DDP brings that positivity. I'll go so far as to say too much positivity. Maybe. And I've got to be able to compete with these guys. Yes. What they don't have, a theme song. Okay. So on this show today, we are going to we are going to uh, debut the Foley theme song. We won't tell you the name of it. The name of it uh, will reveal itself in the Foley's Pod theme song. But it's up there with the things I'm proudest of in my entire life. I can't wait for us to yeah. watch this. Um, you sent it to our video guy in advance of you arriving to our studio. Made Grillo and myself swear to not watch it. Not we have not it. seen it. Right. In fact, we didn't even have it until you just sent it to us. Uh, so with your permission, I'd like to hand you my phone. Okay. And then you can show it to us, and, and we'll make sure that it's full screen. But this way, we'll get a right now reaction. Why not? All right, let's do it up. To, I mean, uh, you don't think we should make people wait on it a little bit? I mean, I say we play the hits, baby. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So okay. here we go. This is something you're the most <laughs> proud of. I would say in order... My children, um, my scrapbooking skills, <laughs> my WWE title victories over Dwayne The Rock Johnson, sure, uh, WWE Hall of Fame, and now this video. So, it's and I might even say too. this comes before the scrapbooking skills because more people can enjoy it. More people will see this video in the next three minutes 
than I've ever seen a Foley scrapbook. We could fix that too. When you come down here with a head full of earwax next time, bring a scrapbook. Bring a scrapbook. All right, let's do it. I mean, okay, yeah. desperate times, desperate yeah. measures. Let's and I, I pointed out in one of the books, I think it was uh, Countdown to Lockdown, so it's new to everyone out there because I've seen the sales figures. Chances are you have not seen this. I was like, yeah, yeah I know it's not the typically rugged like uh, male uh, hobby, but if you need that, I've got like 200 hours of me doing really manly stuff. Yes. And while you're watching that, I'll be over here scrapbooking. I saw right. you floss with Barbar once. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, here's the unnamed music video that we won't reveal the name of just yet. <laughs> Masterpiece. Did it live up to uh, my my hype? I might say it's better than scrapbooking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
That was phenomenal. So you got to tell us the backstory. How does this come to be? The backstory is I'm just driving. I can't remember where I was this was about two weeks ago. And I'm just trying to think of a song that would lend itself to uh, a Mr. In Your House. I had it in mind, Mr. In Your House. And I just start toying around with a couple of songs that I remember, Ring My Bell by yeah. Anita Ward. And suffice to say, for the next three hours, that was on constant replay in my car. And I just kept thinking, the more ridiculous, the better. Yes. And so I, I at that time, I thought I would do the overdubs of both the, the lead and background. And uh, when I handed the idea off to Casey Hopkins, the guy who helps me with my social medias, he's a real talented musician in New York, uh, Brooklyn area. So he knows some people. And he recruited four really big wrestling fans to come and sing. Or was it three back there? What's four? Four. Four big wrestling fans. And they had an, what an amazing time we had. And just hearing them do the chorus for the first time. And at first, there was a little overlapping because, you know, we did, the, the guys in the room ended up doing the refrain, in your house, your house. So at first, the women were taught, kind of talking over themselves or singing over themselves. And I was like, what if you continue here and we come in with that other chorus? And it was like, while I was listening, I'm thinking, this sounds really good. It like does. It does. The women, I mean, the women are just incredible in it. So when we posted, I believe, uh, I have to find out their names first. But they were so good and so much fun to work with. And uh, we got to call them something as a group. The, the, dudettes? the dudettes, or I think we call them the dude love singers. Okay. Because the dudettes historically are the women who hit the ring and assaulted the dude with undergarments. And in my wife's case, uh, you know, uh, a little more, a little more, a little more than just undergarments. Yeah, she's physically uh, on top of the dude. Uh, so they'll be the dude love singers, and uh, we will put this out out there, right? Um, I love it. Uh, and I believe that we can use the chorus every week when we debut something. Uh, maybe we talk about something, or we just throw it in there because people are going to like. I just feel like they're going to like it. I think you should get this on iTunes. I don't, know. I don't. I know if we can because of the background, uh, or was I just sampling the whole time? I mean, you've listened to hip hop music; they get away with it, right? Like, <laughs> Let's, we'll try it. We'll try putting it on. Dude, iTunes. it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, really great job. Oh, thank you. How many hours do you think you have in that? Uh the the fly in the ointment was up until ten minutes before I left for Brooklyn. I didn't actually have lyrics written down. Okay, <laughs> so. You knew the chorus. I, yeah, I knew the chorus, but the and the chorus for the whole, for the song "Ring My Bell," which is a disco staples of the late seventies. Uh, the lyrics are kind of incidental. It's all about the chorus, so the lyrics are really limited. And I literally wrote them in ten minutes and then sang them for my mom, who told me it sounded great. So then I, it was just a matter of putting it uh, putting it on in the car. It's about an hour and thirty minutes from my mom's house to uh, the studio in Brooklyn. And just belting it out and then going in there with the the women and with Casey. And we just had an incredible time. Fantastic yeah. job. And I like, you know, that Ring Your Bell works in a few ways. From a wrestling sense and from your hardcore style yeah. sense. And, man, really, I mean, I don't know what I expected, but that exceeded all expectations. <laughs> a little ECW sound effects along the way. So I'm telling you, hey, don't watch it beforehand. We're going to spring it on you. You're probably... It, Oh, what the heck is this going to be? But you did point out. Yeah, oh, thank you. 
Uh, Grillo? Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to ask, and sometimes why, <laughs> doing the well, vowels at the end. Well, you know what? So I just, when I, what I realized, like, we needed some breathy sounds. Yes. I was like, well, what am I going to say that that the women can remember? And the way Casey edited it, it was just me singing it without the 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 background. The dude love singers were just duding it up in the background, and so I was like, what can I do so that we're all on the same on the same page? I thought, ah, e, you know, just gushing vowel sounds, and then threw in the sometimes why and oh man, so I can ward off Nash for one more week, maybe. You got him. Uh, Okay. Hey, I, I I gotta ask. Um, did you just make up "duding it up" or is that? I did. I don't used? believe that has ever been used before. They were duding it up. <laughs> we have to keep that going. It's like your version of hulking up. <laughs> duding <Dude-ing> up. <laughs> He's duding up. Look at him, dude, up. I could have had that as a comeback. You know? Oh, he's pounding on him. Oh, man, dude, really. He's doing up, brother. He's doing Oh, he's doing <laughs> I love it. It's fantastic. Because in a way, you know, it was going back uh, to uh, mankind's babyface turn. You know, I hadn't been a, you know, a babyface in this character. Uh, it was, you know, I'd been doing it for over two years. I hadn't been a babyface in this character, and it couldn't just be a regular babyface comeback. First of all, I'm limited in the offense, yeah. but in order to make it good, you know, we started experimenting in those house shows of the hunter and the rocking and the hair throw. Well, no one's ever done that before, so that was kind of mankinding up, but yeah. duding it up. Oh, I think I could, I could have another run on the indies as dude love, no right? Doubt. Just dude up, just a little yeah. bit of weak offense, uh, some minor unbelievable selling, dude up, uh, come back a few moves, and brother, I would say, uh, yeah, uh, let's uh, let's put it out there. Who wants to see me dude up? At I'm a in. local armory. <laughs> Get your new duding up T-shirt uh, available now. <laughs> Speaking of T-shirts, oh wow! Look at that T-shirt. Look the cookie. That. The cookie. The cookie is a tale. I mean, it says one father, one child, one cookie. It's really a tale, and it's uh, written about in uh, the Foley Chronicles, which was the uh, just twenty-five volume. <laughs> When I say 25 volumes, I mean 25 copies. It was a memoir I wrote for my family. And it's a story about my son, Huey, and I on a Delta flight where they served dancing deer cookies. And the molasses clove was just to die for. And uh, and Huey knew it. And that the flight attendant came over with the cookies for both of us. And after about 10 minutes, I turned to my son and I said, would you like my cookie? And he knew how much I loved it. So this is almost Gift of the Magi in its scope. And I gave him that cookie and never let him forget about it. And I even wrote a song to the tune of Cats in the Cradle, you know, where the big, like, gave the cookie to me. My dad gave the cookie to me. Actually, next week, maybe we'll play a video. Uh, I do have a cookie video, but we've only had one uh, one video per week. So we can premiere the cookie video, which I believe will be maybe not as big a hit as uh, duding it up, but it'll be a pretty pretty success- successful, I believe. How does one man contain so much talent? <laughs> Is it a burden? I mean, do you put it in your carry-on? You got cookie songs. You're duding it up. Look at what we've done in the first 10 oh, minutes of the show. We haven't even talked about Bill Watts We yet, haven't even right? got to the t- – we're talking about mind games. Oh, mind games. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I'll be able to recall that one. Uh, but yeah. goodness gracious. Uh, 
It's a lot. It's a burden. It, <laughs> so it must be. <laughs> you should celebrate with some Whataburger on your way out of here. I think I might. Yeah. Yeah, I think I might. I was going to do it, uh, but I was the last time we were here, I was taking my son on a trip. And Huey's very proud. He's very proud of his vegan lifestyle. And uh, he accepts that I'm cutting down, but I can't cut it out. As long as there's a water burger in this world, I can't completely cut it out. But I was like, even if I get rid of the the wrappers, he will smell it through my pores. You know, really? you can. You can. Like, you can tell when somebody's had McDonald's or Burger King, yeah. right? I was like, he'll smell it through my pores, and it will become an issue. So uh, there's no chance of any Foley mem- member, except maybe Dewey, listening to my podcast. So uh, that way, I can uh, talk about it. And uh, I will hit Whataburger on the way out. And what's the order again? Give us one more time. You've got a go-to order at Whataburger. Oh, d- well, I'll go with the uh, double Whataburger with cheese. There's a special, ah, oh, man, Monterey Melt is my favorite. But you can't go wrong. As long as it's hot and fresh. As long as it's hot and fresh. Because during the pandemic, you know, when they were stretched for uh, uh, employees, you could get a warm Whataburger and it wasn't the same. Hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, I would say double Whataburger with cheese, uh, onions, lettuce, uh, tomato, uh, mustard, and we're all set. Okay. Yeah. The um, the Jim Cornette cheeseburger order has become legendary fodder on something to wrestle. So we got to get the Foley cheeseburger and what's, what's order. What's Corny's? Uh, what's his order? Well, it involves, I believe. Uh, now, whether or not it's his real order doesn't matter. Bruce Pritchard just says every time that it's. Double cheese, double onions, extra mayo, something like that. Um, I don't think that's the actual order, but it's the way he presents it in the high-pitched voice. You know, <laughs> it always sounds like a foul-mouthed, a foul-mouthed Mickey Mouse, the way Bruce does it. Um, man, I don't know that. I mean, it feels like the show's all downhill after these videos and dudeing it up. But it's Mind Games, and it's a show that I've been looking forward to talking about for a long time. Yeah. So. Yeah, Mind Games, my second favorite match of all time. So I sh- even with the clogged ear and all these other um, side projects, uh, duding it up, uh, scrapbooking, dancing. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll deliver a quality show. True renaissance, yeah. man. Thank you. Uh, speaking of renaissance, man, we have, uh, or you have, a friend who's started a new beverage company that we like to plug oh, yeah. every now yeah, and again. That's right. Uh, I think he's even, man, he's trying to do cartoons and stuff. And He's not on, they had Black Adam here. He's also got a movie debuting, but this is Zoa. This is Dwayne Johnson Energy Drink. Uh, what flavor are you rocking today? White peach. Oh. It's good. I don't have anything on my rider, right? Except a handshake deal saying, when I get here, there will be two Zoas waiting for me, right? Yes. Now, once upon a time, I think you uh, you asked for uh, food, and I made sure there was Outback. Yeah, well, but then I, uh, that was based on my first, when I came through here, and we thought we were rehearsing. Yes. And 20 minutes into We this, knew it was good. We knew it was good, and I was thinking to myself, we're not, we're not going to scrap this. Like, we have yeah, to yeah. use this. But if you remember, those were two pretty long episodes. Oh, yeah. And I was hungry. Yeah. And that's where I was like, hey, can we get some food? And uh, But since then, you've seen that demand was just a one-time Oh, deal. no. Listen, Grillo's tickled to go to Whataburger for you. It's his favorite. Like, his wife goes for him every day. Every day? It's in his marriage writer. <laughs> yeah. You've heard Mick talk about it for years. AG1. Mick and I absolutely love AG1. We start each and every day with a simple scoop. That's it. That's all we need. One single scoop and a cup of water. 
And buddy, we're getting 75 different high quality ingredients. It's going to hook you up and give you all the key daily nutrients. And it's going to go ahead and support everything you need, your energy, your focus, your strength, your clarity. This is just a, a no brainer to me. Think of it as like your foundational nutrition product. You know, listen, we all get busy and we wind up, well, I didn't want to do this for lunch, but I don't feel like I have an option or, well, I know I need to Dude, this is easy. Just one scoop every single day. You're making sure you're taking care of your most valuable asset. You, you cover all your bases. You're looking for better gut health. You want to boost in energy. You want to support that immune system. Maybe you hate taking pills or vitamins. Maybe you just want a supplement that tastes good. I drink mine every single morning. My wife does hers before she even does her coffee. It makes her feel unstoppable on her way to the gym. And I think it gives me more focus at work. I feel like I'm more productive and I don't have that crash in the afternoon. I feel like I'm more productive all day long. We started this back even before the pandemic started. My wife did, but when the pandemic started, man, she had me start doing it. We've done it every day since we are huge fans. I think you will be too. Even our daughters are into it now. Morgan's actually taking some down to Tuscaloosa with her. With every single serving, setting yourself up for success, I just can't recommend it enough. By the way, you don't have to take our word for this. Just go look up their reviews. These cats have thousands of five-star reviews. It's the real deal. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go right now to drinkag1.com slash Foley. That's drinkag1.com slash Foley. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. So today we're talking about mind games. There was even a clip from this match in the music yeah. video that we just yeah. debuted. And you mentioned a moment ago, maybe your second favorite match of all time. Remind everybody your favorite match. Favorite match would be Backlash uh, 2004 against Randy, Randy Orton. Orton. But this was, um, it was really kind of a definitive statement as mankind because uh, I still kind of find my way with this character. You know, I had some success uh, with The Undertaker, but still trying to find my way. And uh, this match against Shawn Michaels, it just, I was just a great match. I believe it it holds up, unless you're putting it to the test of false finishes, because there are only a handful in there. But I just love the match and uh, look forward to discussing it in detail. So let's talk about it, because before we get into all the nitty gritty, and we're going to do that, um, you had been in WCW main events before. Yeah. Uh, on pay-per-view against Vader and I'm sure a few others, but that one is the one everybody always gravitates to. But this time, it's a WWF main event, and it's for the world title, and it's in Philadelphia. Just as a personal point of pride or a professional point of pride, did this feel like I made it? The main event against the WWF champion? Well, on it, wasn't, it wasn't getting into the main event that would give me the feeling that I made it. it you, I needed to excel. We were dealing with a storyline that wasn't heavily hyped. It, there wasn't much of an angle to it. It was kind of a flat match. And even though I had wrestled Sean, I would say in a handful, no more than 10, probably five to 10 tag team matches with uh, Mankind and Goldust taking on Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. <laughs> this was our first singles match. And I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure somewhere across the the wrestling universe, someone could come up with a better first match. But uh, I know I never had one. 
You know, I mean, this was I, my only regret is that I did not have a chance to wrestle Sean on the grandest stage of them all. That it was a, uh, but I'd say in large part, this is what started building the legend of Mr. In Your House. No doubt. Yeah. And when you go back and you look at all the In Your House shows, I think it's probably this one. I mean, listen, this could be debated, I'm sure. But this one and then the first Hell in a Cell. Oh, wow. The, common, the first Cell match was incredible. Yeah. The next month. I mean, when you think yeah, about yeah. that, like those were in consecutive months and. Wait, wait. No, because my game's September 96. Yeah, right. 97. But but the point is they're both in the fall. And okay, I just, yeah, I'm fascinated yeah, yeah. by the idea that it wasn't building necessarily towards WrestleMania. Right. It wasn't building mm-hmm. towards SummerSlam. Those big shows are kind of out of the way. And historically, you hear a lot of people in wrestling say that September and October are sort of down months. Yeah. Uh, maybe kids are going back to school or whatever. And the idea that. These barn burner matches are happening in on in your house shows. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I really took a lot, a lot of pride. I never. This goes back to what we were talking about last week, where you say you don't let anyone else define for what you you yes. for being a success is. Like I had a list of goals, and one of them was to uh, headline Madison Square Garden. Uh, possibly, I can't remember. If I said sold out Madison Square Garden. One of them was to. Uh, headline a pay-per-view that did more than, uh, I can't remember what the buy rate, uh, because all these things have changed in the yeah. last 25 years. But uh, it was a pretty solid buy rate I was looking to do. And over time, you know, I, I think I achieved all those goals, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, my uh, crush on Barbara Eden went unrequited. But other than that, I would say just about everything. So let's talk uh, before we jump into the notes, because we've got a lot to talk about for In Your House. But I'm I'm just fascinated by the idea that. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Can you get the theme out of your head? No. Okay. It's there. Mission I mean, I kind of want to watch it again before we finish the show. <laughs> the, um, the story of your 1996 is really pretty spectacular. You, you debut right after WrestleMania on yeah. Raw. And very quickly, you're programmed with The Undertaker. You get a rare win over him on pay-per-view. It builds to SummerSlam. You have this uh, crazy match, the Boiler Room Brawl match. After all these years together, Paul Bear turns on him, joins you. Yeah. You get the win. And then the very next month, you're in the main event, not against The Undertaker again, but against Shawn Michaels. And the month after that, it's a Buried Alive match. I mean, professionally, you have to feel like is this as good as it's ever been? Yeah. Yeah. And the answer is it was. It was, especially because that character went through some growing pains. Uh, I think all characters do. It's hard to hit the ground running with something you've never done before. I mean, it, and it turned out Vince was the one guy who seemed to seriously dislike the Mankind vignettes, uh, which was news to me. You know, that was uh, or I, I uh, Corny was like my confidant at the time. He was in the WWE office. And when I found out that uh, Vince didn't like the vignettes, I said, Jimmy, he told me he loved my promos. And Jimmy kind of looked at me like, Cactus, I'm not sure Vince has ever seen your promos. And I went, well, I didn't know so much of what your push is based on is what you do on that 13 inch screen in front of you. Yes. Uh, what you've done in the past can lead to words of recommendation. And if you get enough recommendation from enough sources, that's certainly really beneficial. But uh, by and large, Mr. McMahon was grading you on based, based on what you did on that, uh, 
on that little monitor. That's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. But I don't think any of us should ever underestimate the power of The Undertaker. Yes. I don't even know for a fact that he was the guy that pushed it through and said, I want to do this program because I'm tired of just working with people who are taller than me in some cases, elegante, heavier than me, which had been like four or five uh, uh, WrestleManias in a row. And I just feel like he was the guy, even with Jim Ross's blessing, that I was still the guy that Vince wanted to hire just to prove a point to JR. Right. You know, and I'm still not convinced that they didn't sit around Vince and uh, and Bruce and the crew spitballing ways to tank a, uh, a debut. I mean, I can just say, Vince, okay, okay, we've got him dressed uh, from head to toe in brown. What else can we do to ensure this guy doesn't get over? Like, let's cover up his face, Vince. He's got a expressive facial. Yeah, let's cut those out. Let's send him in the ring with the dreariest entrance music of all time with all the Flash and dazzle of a UPS delivery truck. And let's make sure he doesn't have any pyro or dry ice or any of those. I never had any of those things. And nonetheless, the character was connecting in large part because of The Undertaker. And then I... Uh, and JR on commentary. Did a phenomenal JR on job. commentary. Oh, man. Yeah. He sold the story hard. He sold the story hard. And Lawler was really good. Yeah. Uh, and Vince was really... When Vince called matches... He really put the character. Something changed, obviously. Uh, and I think a lot of credit goes to him for changing his mind because some other people, another person in his position might have their vision of what that guy is and and be against changing it. So I asked if this is, you know, the best that's ever been, you know, professionally for you. I don't want you to share numbers, but was that reflected in your paychecks at the time? Because WCW was really kicking their, their rear end and... Uh, well, things were tight on the WWF side of things. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Because it's not a guaranteed deal. It's like not WCW. a guaranteed deal. I did sign on the, uh, I signed for that uh, opportunity. Yes. And the only thing you were guaranteed is five matches a year at $150 a match. So you're guaranteed $750 a year. And that's it. If they decide not to push you or take you off the road, then basically you're sitting by idly, uh, not making anything. So I did come aboard for just the <laughs> opportunity. And I was very, I mean, don't I was happy. I wasn't complaining. I don't think I would start complaining about checks till probably 98. I was just happy to be there. But they weren't enormous. Even the pay-per-view checks were not that big a deal. I think the year before... I arrived, uh, Owen Hart had raised his hand at a meeting, um, you know, about 90 days after WrestleMania and Vince, any other questions? And Owen said, yes, when can we expect the other half of our WrestleMania checks? Because they were way down. Uh, so no, there was, I could go back, but they weren't huge. You remember were, being disappointed? No, I remember accepting it as this is what it is. This is, yeah, this is what I get. Uh, so that when I did get a much bigger payoff for uh, King of the Ring, Hell in a Cell, it really surprised me. Even wrote a letter of thanks to Vince. And then after 98, then that was like, okay, now the bar's set here. Yes. Now this is kind of what I expect. And I would go on to do some, you know, some really good pay-per-view numbers in uh, uh, 99 and late, <clears throat> late uh, early 2000. And I would have some big payoffs. But comparatively, yeah, those payoffs I was getting in 96 weren't that big. You know, I, I'll, I'll do a lot better 
in 2022, even adjusted for inflation than I did in 96. Wow. Yeah, is that crazy? Yes. Yeah. So this goes back, you know, you know, so I'll be honest, like somebody, when you, when you read back years later about how a character wasn't getting over or promo was flat, it kind of hurts your feelings. Sure. But with that being said, like, uh, I did something right because no I'm signing dude loves name and mankind's name and cactus Jack's name on a lot of different things, especially the pops. I'm really grateful for it, but I guess it's a, an indication of a, you know, how, uh, uh, you know, how appreciated those characters were and be also the reality that, uh, you know, the payoffs were not outstanding. Sure. I remember Scott Hall saying like, uh, you know, you can make, if you work your butt off, you can make around four. And I was sitting with Dutch Mantel, like on the plane and I said, $400,000. And Scott said, you weren't making that in WCW. I went, no, man, that would be a hell of a, increase for me like about almost a threefold i was a i was a three thousand dollar a week guy in uh wcw and four hundred thousand was like that almost the holy grail like if you could put up at that time especially i was like if i could put a couple of those four hundred thousand dollar years together like that'd be the type of thing i could start you know you know putting a nest egg together for i already even in wcw i was always saving whatever i could but I was like, man, a couple $400,000 years, even after taxes and, you know, the lengths I was willing to go to on the road when I started to save money. Uh, the $30 cheap sleeps, how to sleep anywhere in the United States for less than $30. Yeah, I was I was pretty bound to that. And uh, I thought yeah, 400 grand a couple of years is going to set me up really nicely. You thrifty? Never heard that. Never heard that, right? Never hey, that. how do you know? who brings a shirt to life just to relive it with his son. So I printed 12 of these bad boys. We all wore them on Easter. I went to my friends at uh, 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 Pro Wrestling Tees, and uh, that, before they got in the wrestling game, that's how they started making their name, is they could deliver these T-shirts. One-hour tees back One-hour tees, yeah. and you could do as little as one, or you know, the sky's limit on how many you did. So uh, I'd say over the years, four or five times, I've just gotten a, a hold of <laughs> pro wrestling tees with Ryan and said, hey, got an idea. And then I come up with a one-of-a-kind design. Here we go. Let's talk about uh, mind games. Here we are. Man, it's hard to believe. 26 years ago, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And you wrote in your book that you thought the plans were to be for you to work with Mark Merrow. And then it shifts to Sean. And I'm sure that... That was not something you were exactly thrilled about because you've been pretty honest here on the show about yep. saying that you and Austin sort of looked at him coming in with a guaranteed contract around the same time as you from the same place as you guys and thinking, hey, what's up with that? It wasn't his fault. Right. So it wasn't his fault. And uh, I was watching the Jaguars game. Yeah, the Jags, what up, Mitchell? Man. How about that turnaround? Whoa, big turnaround. And I was wondering during the game, like, wow, I, I, Trevor Lawrence, I wonder if there's any resentment towards him for making as much as he is. Like, I wonder if, like, any of the linemen are like, hey, dude, you know, <laughs> like, or if the management said, hey, you know, you want a better line, maybe you can cough up some of the money. You don't do that. You just, right. you don't do that. It's not like Mark was going to say, hey, after looking at some of the guys, I've decided Give a little mind back. Give a little mind back. I don't need the guarantee. I'm good with just the opportunity. So nothing I'm saying is 
against Mark Merrill personally, although I took it personally at the time. Sure. And I saw him and uh, I, I said, I asked him to forgive me for, you know, I kind of dogged him for a few years, you know, even in my book. It was, it was a big incentive for me and Steve especially. Because before Steve took off like a rocket, we were yeah. kind of side by side, you know, as yes. far as on the lineup. And I remember in particular, one really good, just basic, but really physical heel versus heel match, crowd siding with Steve because they were already leaning that way. And it was just a really good hard hitting raw match. So we were both in the mix. And like I said, Steve took off like a rocket. Um, and, but we both got incentive from the Mark Merrill contract. When I was opposed to working with Mark was WrestleMania 97, where I said, if it's just on the card, if it's just a matter to be on the card, I'd rather, I'd rather not be on it. Because by that point, I think even though I, it would be years before I refer to myself as Mr. WrestleMania, as Mr. In Your House, like I realized, you know what, there are opportunities for me to shine and for me to be in main event matches and to steal the show. Like I don't need the crumbs of WrestleMania. You know, I'd rather have a banquet at uh, in your house. But in 96, I was okay with that. I was okay with it because they were really pushing Mark hard. They really saw him and Vince did, yeah. especially when he signed him as being one of the pillars of the company. And, uh, you know, Sable undoubtedly deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I yes. think it's just a matter of when and if and if, yeah. you know. Uh, but definitely she was one of the most over women of her generation and they were pushing them both hard. Um, I don't know what kind of match it would have been because I only had a couple matches with Mark when I was in WWE, but it was soon as I got the notice that it was Sean for the title. I mean, I was, I was overjoyed. Yeah. as well. You should be. So it's crazy to think you're just fresh off of this SummerSlam match, the big win over the undertaker, Paul bear does the turn. And they thought the next logical move was Mark Marrow. <laughs> I'm glad it did become Sean. Uh, the original story, I believe, was it was supposed to be Sean and Jose Lothario taking on Vader and Jim Cornette. Ooh. And that, of course, changes because, as we know, Sean was not happy with Vader in oh. that SummerSlam match. Yeah, he was not. Do you remember hearing about that? You've been pretty good friends with Leon going back to the WCW days. What do you remember about the Shaw and Vader issues? Because had they not happened, maybe yeah. this match wouldn't have happened. I remember watching it and couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, it just, it was so strange for someone to be calling out a mistake during the match, especially someone like Leon. God, I couldn't imagine anyone doing that in WCW. You, no. You'd pay for it. But Leon, it, oh, man. It wasn't, I think we've talked about this before. If Leon had come in during the Attitude Era instead of two years before or a year and a half before, would have been a different story. Even when he debuted by doing the Vader bomb on, on Gorilla Monsoon, he yeah. still ran away, literally. Vader doesn't run. He doesn't run. Yeah. So um, I did not know the opportunity opened up because of that it's disagreement crazy. they had. but. I mean, that was kind of the beginning of the end for Leon and his, you know, his major push there. And so I guess uh, I didn't know it until this moment, but that makes perfect sense as to why I would slide into that main event role. It's interesting to think about how much changes over the summer, you know, without the curtain call, Austin doesn't win right. the King of the Ring yeah. and, and start the 316 thing in June. And without a poor performance by Vader, based on Sean's opinion, you don't get this match with Sean in the main right. event. Like, 
it, it just goes to show you, man. The um, and if if with no curtain call, Triple H does get the win at yes. three sixteen, then he doesn't get the push with DX. Yes, and he's arguably not as ready for it in ninety six yes. as he was. Was it a year and a half later yeah. when DX came together? Um, he wins King of the Ring in ninety seven. Yeah, and then that fall, that's when DX takes off. Yeah, and I think uh, the frustration and anger and Hunter never sold it. He never he took it like I remember saying, "Man, we all knew that he was taking the the punishment for this, you know, on account of all four of the guys." He never complained. It didn't uh, it didn't affect his matches. It probably messed with his head. The other twenty three minutes and forty twenty three hours and forty five minutes of the day. But he was out there, and he was wrestling Marrow pretty regularly, and they were having some really good matches to the point where even though I thought I was stealing the show with uh, with Taker around the horn, there were some people who thought that the uh, the Marrow-Hunter matches were better. All right. I think you're probably about my age, and let's face it, as we're getting a little older at 42 years old, after a night with drinks, I just don't bounce back the next day like I used to. So I find myself having to make a choice. I can either have a really great night or I can have a great next day. That is until I found Z-Biotics. You see, Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Now here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. You see, it's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it most. Drink Zbiotics before drinking, drink responsibly, and enjoy the night with confidence. The first time I tried Zbiotics was hanging out with Eric Bischoff. We were uh, hanging out at was a podcast movement a few years ago, and we knew we were going to uh, <clears throat> have a little fun. So we said, Hey man, let's try this. We had some samples and bam, I was having a great time the next day. And I had a great time the night before it was like, I was 21 again. Now, every time I have a Z biotics before drinking, I know it's going to make a difference the next day, even after drinks the night before, I know I'll be able to wake up early and record a podcast for you guys. And I have to admit when I first heard about Z biotics, I was a little skeptical. Because, man, I grew up thinking, oh, you just need to drink a bunch of water. That ain't it, man. You need some science to break down that toxic byproduct in your gut. You need this genetically engineered probiotic. I'm talking about Z-Biotics. I put it to the test with a little vodka water, and I put it to the test with maybe one too many Miller Lights. I am 100% convinced that actually works. And I'm telling you, this Labor Day weekend right around the corner that's coming up before you know it, you need to stock up for the long weekend. Make sure your friends and family know to do this before. So if you're hosting like a big barbecue, maybe you guys are going to the beach or getting out on the lake, order some Z-Biotics, especially if it's going to be a fun weekend. Make sure everybody has one before they start drinking. Now drink responsibly y'all, but the next morning it's going to be a great day. Savor the moment. Let Z-Biotics do the rest. Right now to zbiotics.com slash Foley to get 15% off your first order. When you use Foley at checkout, Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash Foley 
and use the code Foley at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and my fun weekend. So, the, um, how do you get the word that you're going to be working with Sean? Is that something Vince brings to your attention? No, this is really interesting. And I will say, whenever I've looked at notes about the upcoming show, I end up going, I can do better without the notes. So, this yeah. is something... I remember seeing in the notes, but I just believe you hitting me with the questions unless I draw a blank, which I've not been doing too often. No. Uh, Because generally speaking, the things you remember, the things that went really well, the things that went really astray. Yes. You don't remember. And that's not just wrestling memories. I think that's people's collective uh, memories. Um, And that's part of the... uh, the basis on creating the best Santa representation I possibly can, that it might be a memory that someone will hold on to for decades or even a lifetime if it's done well enough. But you don't remember things that are kind of in the middle. There are literally, uh, you know, if dozens and dozens of matches at the very least, but probably hundreds of matches that I just don't recall, even if some of them were pretty good. But in this case, uh, mind games, uh, I remember everything like it happened yesterday. And as far as the person bringing me the news, that would have been Jimmy Cornette. Jimmy was, he was in the office at the time and he was uh, sometimes the bearer of bad news, but in this case, uh, the bearer of good news. It was, it was Jim Ross telling me that it was going to be Mark Merrow. And then I believe it was Corny telling me they changed it. That was uh, Shawn Michaels. What was your opinion of Shawn Michaels at the time? I mean, the performer and then the human being. Again, you just said you couldn't believe what you were seeing with his behavior at SummerSlam. Uh, had you seen any of that, or did you feel like that was a one-off? Maybe he had a bad day. And what did you think of him away from the personal stuff, just as an in-ring performer? Oh, as an in-ring performer, ah, he was he was just exceptional. Just an incredible and if anything, only went on to lay claim for what I say is the best wrestler of his generation, which I define by monthly pay-per-views. And clearly, we were in that generation with the monthly pay-per-views. I never had a crossword with him in all my time with him. I understood like that he could be a problem. Other sure. people had said that, but I had not experienced that. And I think it's really a credit to him that he was so open to ideas, he actually welcomed them. Because at that time, the champion was still kind of carrying the company. Yes. There was a lot of pressure on the champion. Pressure that I didn't feel because I was a transitional champion. You know, if we have the time, I'll argue that I was the greatest. I was a Bret Hart of transitional champions, right? Best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. But I never had to carry the company on my back. Whereas Sean was, and there's a lot of mental fatigue that goes into that. And if you were the champion, you were out there representing the company at uh, appearances, uh, early morning radio, those type of things. And so when we knew we were going to work together, he was really open to outside the box ideas. Is that something you had aspirations of? You know, that schedule of being... The early morning radio guy, all the appearances. Well, Paul Bearer warned me when I got there not to do too well on the appearances they did schedule me for, because then I would be asked to do it more often. 
But what do you do when you're in there? Especially, you know, even with the character of mankind, this is back in the day when you actually would show up on a local news in station character. in character to do the news as mankind. And so whether it was in character, and as I talk about the character, I start rocking because I would literally go on shows in character as mankind. But even when it segued to being more of yourself, I always tried to do the best I could. I So I understood Paul's point, but I also realized uh, I could be a guy in the periphery. You know, I believe that we have to bring all the tools that we have to the table uh, or to the shed, whatever the uh, example is. And uh, if I could be effective on media appearances, I was going to try my best to do that. I got to ask, you said you would show up to news stations in character. You don't mean like when you met the folks off camera, right? Well, if I met them off camera, I would probably be at least, be at least 50% in character. Really? I dreaded the idea of someone thinking, you know, the... <sighs> 96 is a tough time. 96, yeah. We're, we're not all the way letting everybody, quote unquote, yeah. in on the gag. Right. But it's just hard for me to imagine you walking into a local ABC affiliate, pulling your hair out and rocking and using the crazy I'm voice. I'm the same guy in 1989 who had a girlfriend for six months who never knew my real name. So I was protecting the business. And because I met her after a show when I was in character... I never quite knew how to break it to her that there was something else there. That was as the 89 Cactus Jack. Uh, so, yeah. So, you I, kept up the thing the whole time. I did. I remember her saying to me one time, Jack, I know. And I said, no, what? You know, I'm as Cactus I know. And I. she didn't say, but what I, uh, you know, the... the uh, the tone was that she realized that I was like portraying a character. And then within a couple of weeks of that, I, I got the phone call that no man in his mid twenties wants to get that there's an emergency. I need to talk to you. Can you get oh. over here? And so uh, we all know what that means. Right. And when later on, when I got over there, she revealed that she was hoping to borrow a couple hundred dollars. I was greatly relieved. I oh, did yeah. So a couple hundred dollars. So, okay. I do have that. I'm making 75 a night, but I do have a couple hundred extra dollars. And later on, uh, when the time came to get nice, I told her I was unable to do that. And she said, why? I said, well, I kind of made a deal with God on the way over here. <laughs> that if you weren't pregnant, I would be uh, go without for the next month. And she said, Jack, God doesn't make deals. And I said, he made one with me. Yes. And then she looked at me and said, you know, I was beginning to think that this whole thing was just an act, but you really are out of your mind. But I held do that one month. Yeah. Uh, are you, listen, your family listens to this. So I'm going to ask this. No, very no, they don't. Like, they okay. don't. Yeah. You. Uh, but they do read clips. You, you stayed in character during the act. Oh, you'd hit that act. With, oh, you'd hit her with the bang bang. I wish I had a real answer for you. In my head, you're wearing it out. Not day, not If not, I certainly should have been right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would say you can look in the full and um, uh, have a nice day. 
And I did say she did uh, break up with me for say, and among other things, for saying that uh, my sexual skills were uh, just standard. So I would say I was not in character, but I did win her back. She came to my scaffold match, and after I'd broken my wrist, she was there saying, "Will you take me back?" Uh, Yes, I will. And then uh, we went out to some late night diner. I didn't know my wrist was broken at the time, but I knew I was in pretty rough shape. And I remember resisting when her children wanted to order soft drinks. I was like, I'm a tap water guy. You know, like even in 89, I was... Uh, Frugal McDougal. Frugal McDougal, yeah, yeah. Well... I should have been in character. Yeah. I mean, listen, awesome. if, I can't believe she thought you were boring. I mean, you should have brought out the thumbtacks. <laughs> The barbar baseball bats. You had gimmicks, <laughs> like you knew what to do. My goodness, uh, what are we doing on this program? So back in these days, uh, the company is not live every week, so you're taping sometimes four weeks of Monday yeah, Night Raw on a wow. single taping. They were the four one-hour shows. Yes. At that time, it's hard to believe uh, that Raw's got that third hour, which is still kind of like an albatross around. You know, yeah. Um, but one hour, yeah, and you do four tapings, and sometimes you were on all four shows wrestling, which was crazy for one hundred and fifty dollars. Around it, yeah, I think you got a hundred for. T I think you got twenty five for TVs until unless you were in the dark match, and then you got paid as if it was a house show. So everyone wanted to be in the dark match. When you're saying dark match, you mean the local main event? The not yeah, the yeah. non televised advertised main event. So uh, there's TV taped in Wheeling, West Virginia here. And uh, the tape is interesting because they had Kevin Kelly replacing Vince McMahon as the lead announcer. Mm. He's going to be working with JR and the King. And Kevin had only debuted in the company a month earlier. And then here he is right in the thick of things. Were you surprised that they just weren't using JR for everything? Or was it apparent to you that boy Vince and JR kind of on again, off again, even in 96? Well, JR was still the raw guy, right? Yes. He was well, and they did not have SmackDown at that time. Right. So, in a sense, I mean, I don't know what the syndicated shows, who was calling the syndicated shows, but uh, I was, I mean, I was surprised that Vince didn't not understand that he had the best announcer yes. in history and should have just let him go. You know, JR would say Vince was right about some of these things and, you know, how to tell a story, but I think Jim would have excelled in any atmosphere. With little or no um, guidance. So on some level, I get Vince being the guy. So it's it's Vince putting himself in there with Jr. and Lawler just because he's involved in the creative, so he knows what he yeah. wants. And I, I could I could be sold on that. But when you pull Vin, when Vince pulls himself out of there and just slides Kevin Kelly in there, it's like. Dude, JR's sitting right there. No disrespect to Kevin Kelly, <laughs> right. but it's like... And a two-man team is easier than yes. a three-man team. I've yes. always liked the two-man team. And Kevin Kelly, to me, is one of the great underrated announcers yes. in WWE. He does the New Japan stuff, and he's he's tremendous. And if you want to hear Kevin Kelly at his best, it's maybe we could have some kind of call along. I don't know what we're allowed to do, but in the hard knocks and cheap pops, we went in to do uh, bonus matches me and Kevin Kelly, and Kevin taking the lead on the Kennel from Hell match with Al Snow and Big Boss Man had me laughing so hard that we had to just, we had to shoot stuff over because He's I hilarious. literally couldn't speak. Yeah, it was tremendous stuff. And Ke yeah, Kevin was great. And I never understood whatever heat he had with the company. I never understood because I thought he was, he was a really good guy and a great announcer. 
and he's recently talked about how things were so lean in 96 that the, the company would say, hey, resharpen your pencils. Don't throw them away. Turn the lights out in the bathroom wow. when you finished. I mean, just like, wow. And he, he came in and, and I felt like really made his own voice in a time where that couldn't have been easy. I mean, you know what it was like being an announcer for events and yeah. still all these years later doing his thing with New Japan, a real 26 success story. years later. Good for him. So you and Paul Bear are doing an in-ring promo with Jim Ross, and you briefly touch on the upcoming match, saying you will make Michaels, quote, the least sexy boy toy in the world, <laughs> and that you can destroy all the lives of all the millions of the clique around the world. And they also show a clip from three weeks earlier where you had attacked Michaels backstage at Raw while he was watching a confrontation with Jose, Jose Lothario and Jim Cornette on the monitor, and you put the mandible claw on him. And it's kind of fun to think that they just did that segment without really understanding this is where you would be because based on the timeline, it feels like they wouldn't have known yet after the SummerSlam pivot. Well, again, I don't know when that decision was made. I would have to believe based on me attacking Michaels that there was some indication it was going to be me at some point in the future. yeah. Yeah. So Ross preempted the next two Mondays because of freaking tennis. Which is always good for your pay-per-view main event, right? So we try Raw Championship Friday. It's going to air on September 6th, and it really couldn't come at a worse time because it gives WCW the chance to storm ahead with two unopposed nitros. All the nitros. And I will say everyone wanted to be in that nitro main event because then you could point to it two years later as the big bump in ratings, and no one would remember that. The show was preempted. preempted yeah. yeah. Um, what did you think of a heel Hulk Hogan? You had been in the in the company yeah. before, and you saw that Hogan was coming in, and maybe recognized what that meant for you or didn't mean for you. But that was the old red and white. Now there's, a, as Bruce would call it, a fresh paint of coat. And red and white or red and gold? Red and yellow. Yeah, you're okay, right. Okay. Okay. Uh, now he's in the black and white, though. He's yeah. he's a he's a bad guy. Nobody would have. Maybe imagined Hulk Hogan as a bad guy. You're one of the best bad guys of all time. Certainly a different approach. What did you think of Hogan as a heel? Well, it was effective, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if you can base the effectiveness on a turn on whether or not children are crying in the crowd, but the little Hulkamaniacs were in tears that night. It was, uh, and the that was before throwing debris in the ring became a thing. Like yes. it was really uh, an organic reaction. Like. People were really angry. Uh, I'm not in. I'm not at uh, liberty to discuss why I would have been privy to watching that reaction in the last few months, but I was, and so I was watching uh, Kevin and Scott. Like, and as this, uh, the response is 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 coming about. You could see that they're startled at just how effective it was, and then the Hulkster. He really played into it, like. I thought I guess like what was he in his late forties then or early four mid forties mid forties probably playing the air guitar I was like uh, that part of it's not necessarily working for me but everything is and even if it's stupid it's working yes. right and uh, all of a sudden uh, you took the outsiders and it became a super group right like if like here's the thing like. If it's, I guess Lennon and McCartney on their own would have been enough of a Beatles reunion, 
But you need probably three of the four Beatles yes. to establish that as a bona fide reunion. And so two people is a movement, but three, you know, that was no no disrespect to DiBiase and uh, whoever came fifth. We know X-Pac came sixth. I can't remember who the fifth member was. Maybe it was Bischoff? No, I, I don't think uh, so. Maybe D it was the Giant. DiBiase. Fake but, Sting. But as knows? soon as they came in with uh, Hogan, things really took off. And we as a company were struggling. Like, we were really struggling. Uh it will go down in lore that like one of the 96 Madison Square Garden main events was the lowest. Yes. But it's only the lowest in the last 25 years because at that point, doing $150,000 anywhere was considered really good. Yes. So to have seven or 8,000 people by the standard of those times at the garden, it was no longer the automatic sellout with the felt forum, which is now the theater at Madison Square Garden. Remember, they used to show that closed circuit to the overflow crowd, the two or 3,000 people who couldn't get tickets to the garden would watch it on closed circuit next door to where yeah. the event was taking place. So garden shows went from being essentially like, almost like the monthly pay-per-views yes. in that it was the biggest show on the loop and the show that everyone wanted to be on to being pretty lean. So we did draw half a house, but I'll say, and I don't know if the uh, statistics will bear me out, I hope they do, that it was considered good by the standards of the time i hate to go back again but it made me laugh when he criticized hogan for playing air guitar and said it was stupid <laughs> and i remember dude no <laughs> and you were once the guy who pulled a sock puppet out of his sweatpants oh yeah yeah that's so, not stupid but air guitar that's just over the line brother i think hulk would have a legitimate response to me saying his air guitar <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, he hulks up, you dude up to each his own. Uh, and I will say, nobody can take away from Hulk Hogan that he popularized, if not invented, the addition of the letters S-T-E-R to any name. It works anywhere. Edge is still Edgester to me. Mixter. When he sees me, I'm still the Mixter. And uh, there are a bunch of people who call me the Mixter only because Hulk Hogan made it possible. I love it. Well, by now, you know, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex, shall we? Remember the days when you're always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. It's bluechew.com. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. Take these anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is simple, y'all. You just sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part, man, it's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluetooth tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. Bluetooth wants to help you have better sex. So discover your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it. Dude love would be proud. Seriously, this is a home run. They're a day one sponsor for us here on the program. And you know why it really works. If you haven't tried it already, what are you waiting for? And how about this? We got a special deal for our listeners. Try blue chew free when you use our promo code Foley at checkout, just pay the $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is Foley to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank blue chew for sponsoring the day's podcast. So the first uh, special Friday show for Monday Night Raw, which is now Friday, 
You defeat Alex the Pug Porto with the Mandible Claw, and Sean defeats Goldust in a title match. And after the match, you come running through the crowd into the ring, and it looks like you and Goldust are about to attack Michaels. Uh, but he's able to escape as the show ends. And there's a lot of talk about, hey, what if, right? You've got these two sort of creatures. Yeah. These are different type characters. And I think a lot of people look back on the Goldust character and they just think about the Attitude Era stuff. But early Goldust was really ahead of his time, don't you think? Way ahead of his time. And the way that Mankind and Goldust played off each other at the house shows and on local localized uh, interviews was was really not only fun, but it was special. And I think the first time we were put together, uh, and we ended up being on a magazine cover together, despite not having the angle really come off. There was the angle that resulted in the you know pretty famous photo of uh, Goldust licking my ear as I apply the mandible claw to the Undertaker, a move that only a photo only makes sense in professional wrestling. And as is the case where I was uh, thrown into the grave by the Big Show. And then uh, when Big Show came to check on me, I came up out of the grave with the Socko. And it's like, if anyone else besides the wrestling fan sees a photo of a grown man with a leather mask coming out of a grave yes. to put a sock puppet in the mouth of a seven-foot-tall giant wearing Speedos and and boots, that would be cause for a question. But yes. in our world, it's, it's wrestling. It's Monday. Yeah. It's wrestling. It's just a, yeah, it's just a Tuesday. We didn't talk any uh, ever on any of my podcasts about Alex the Pug Porto. What can you tell us about him? I last time I saw him, he was working at the Orlando International Airport in uh, security, I think. And I told him I had a choice story I was telling. So this is probably going back to 2013 when I was telling what I would just call the Germany story, and uh, Alex Porto was part of that. And he said he would rather not be mentioned by name, which I haven't done in nine years. So okay. breaking my silence. I, I and, did it. And I, so. I don't tell the Germany story anymore unless it's by... I did do it one time in the last year. And it's a fun, not decidedly non-PG story that was uh, uh, one of my go-tos nine years ago. I think it's we a, teased it here on the show. It's a golden oldie. And I can't do justice to it. Unless it's in that live setting. So it's in the archives. It's in the archives. If somebody wants to see me perform it live, come to an, uh, a live event and we'll uh, we'll make it happen. Your match against the Pug, uh, I think, is one of the first times you have Paul Bear in your corner. Yeah. Um, how did you like him as a manager? What did you think of the pairing? How was it in execution? Oh, the, well, the pairing was, I liked it on principle, him uh, turning on The Undertaker after all those years. It seemed strange that it was only six years. It seemed like they'd been together for a lifetime by the time the change was made. But Undertaker debuted in November of 1990, and the change was made in uh, August of uh, 96. I loved it because I went back with uh, Uncle Paul, and this will lead me uh, back to uh, the uh, the uh, market-specific promos I did with Goldust. And we just, it all came about because uh, I was calling Paul Uncle Paul. Yes. And and I, I, there was something to do with a mommy character. But I referred to Goldust as mommy, and it was eerie, and it was weird. And I think Vince Russo deserves credit for even, like, you know, most of the time you do these... Uh, 
uh, market-specific promos without any prompting. You know, you just say 30 seconds, one minute, whatever the case may be. But in this case, he specifically wanted me to sing close to you, you know, and to hear that as mankind serenading gold dust, you know, why do birds suddenly appear every time? And now that we've gotten to know the cuddlier version of mankind, like, oh, that's obviously something Mick would do. But not back then. Not back then. And so it was weird and it was eerie. And that's what we wanted. I Like, I would, I would go a scour, I think is the word I'm looking for the uh, backstage area to try to find presents to present the gold dust for our tag team matches. And it might be like a pumpkin or a bouquet of flowers. And then he would take me with both his hands. He would kiss me on the lips, not like a deep kiss, but he was still, uh, this was 26 years ago. Right? right. And this is enough to freak people out. Sure. They weren't comfortable with the gold dust character anyway, in the androgynous nature of that character. And not that there was anything ever androgynous or less than manly about the man. He is man in his name. That's how manly he was. Yeah. But I was willing to push that boundary, you know, and uh, he, oh, he was more like excited about that present. But it was just eerie to present him with a pumpkin and get a kiss on the lips because of it. Um, Raw's back in its normal time slot on Monday, September 9th. And on that show, Sean's in for an interview. And for some reason, it's conducted by Spanish announcer Carlos Cabrera. And he says, I'm not your mommy. I'm not your friend. But believe me, punk, I'm going to be your daddy. Remember one thing. Do not hunt what you can't kill. You're not on that Raw, but on the Go Home Raw, you have a very quick promo. And you're with Paul Bear in the boiler room. And you're ending the show. You say... When I win the heavyweight title, will that make me a sexy boy? When the girls want to kiss me, will they want to whisper in my ear? I see, show a close-up of your ear. Or will they just run in fear? We're going to have a nice day. And Paul Bear says, we will. And there you go. That's the end of the show. So there's not a lot of interaction. There's not a lot. Because the only physicality comes weeks before. Uh, it just... It was not a big build. It was... It was by, uh, I would say it was a cold match going in. It was. Yeah, and, it was and say cold. there's a lot of focus on the fake Diesel and Razor Angle with yeah. uh, Izzy turning heel, Jim Ross, and the Intercontinental title tournament. It almost feels like the main event, the world you, title match, it's just sort of there. When did the In Your Houses start? Was that 95? Like, uh, I think it's 94. 94? 95. You're right, 95. So they're still getting the idea of monthly pay-per-views. Yep. Now, uh, I mean, even when I, well, I don't know about that because we started doing more pay-per-views and uh, I think in by 92 in WCW, we were almost doing monthly pay-per-views. But then WWE had to react to that. Oh, sorry about that. I'll turn that off while we go. Uh, I think WWE If it's had, The Rock, you should answer. Could be. Let him know we're plugging his drink. Oh, it's here. Let me see who it is. It's... I can't talk. I'm sorry. It's, uh, I'll have to turn this off. You got really excited, though. It has something to do with uh, business that I'm not permitted to talk about, uh, even on this show. I don't know anything about that. Certainly not anything on A&E. <laughs> not at all. Um, so listen, while all this TV stuff is happening, you're regularly working with The Undertaker on all the house shows. Yeah. Uh, except for a Texas and Oklahoma swing in early <laughs> September because The Undertaker has suffered a staff infection down yeah. in Puerto Rico. And they have you working with Mark Henry. 
And they even have Bill Watts popping in on these Oklahoma dates. Um, what'd you think of working with a very, very young Mark Henry here? A very young Mark Henry? I liked it. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, Mark was such a nice guy, continues to be a great guy. We knew there was a world of potential there. So I liked it. He had a lot to learn, but we all do when we start. Uh, so I, I remember liking Mark and liking working with him. I mean, he was still young to the point where, you know, you could rib him in the ring. I remember Goldust going in for the bear hug. And the way to do a bear hug is you, you kind of get your, your knees up on, that, on your opponent's thighs to take some of that pressure off him. Uh, so he's not supporting your whole weight. So we all understood when we see Goldust just basically sandbagging Mark at a house show, yes. making him hold the full. Dustin was about 260 at the time. And he's got to hold that for two or three. That's, that's difficult to do, yes. even for the world's strongest man. So there are ways to make certain things easier. And it was still considered kind of humorous at that point, to, you know, it was part of Mark's learning curve. Mess with the new guy. Yeah. And uh, within, I will tell you, the one wrestler's court that never came up was uh, they were going to take Mark Henry to wrestler's court for sitting in first class. And uh, I just, I didn't think it was fun. And I told Mark I was going to represent him. And it never came up. Uh, and again, I, I'm getting a little, Mark will always remember him standing up for him, remember me as the guy who stood up for him. But there's a difference between having fun, innocent fun, and making someone's life unduly difficult. And I thought it was crossing that boundary. Well, he's I, a big boy. Ryan Coach couldn't have been easy. A, well, and he's an Olympic athlete. Yes. And uh, if it's in his contract that he gets to ride first class. He negotiated. Uh, he negotiated. But I, it goes back to what I told one of my former agents like in you think of first class as something you negotiate in our business is something you earn yes and i guess there were some people who didn't think mark had earned it but that's not his fault right that's not his fault that he had first class it would be really difficult for him to sit and coach given his you know his frame yeah and i just thought some of the kidding crossed a line that i was not comfortable with and so I stood up and I said, I will represent Mark Henry. And it never went to wrestler's court. That was the one time I remember things like getting, starting to turn a little ugly. And I didn't like it. Who raised the issue? Uh, is that a Bob Holly thing? Is that a JBL thing? Is that I can't an Undertaker remember. thing? I honestly can't remember because it was all due to that one flight. I can't remember where it was from and where it was to. But clearly someone wound up sitting in the back that they didn't think should. Apparently, yeah. 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 So on the morning of the pay-per-view, the long-running WWF Superstar show debuted on the USA Network instead of airing on syndication, and it always has. And they did a live uh, shot from an empty arena to hype up the pay-per-view. It was like a pregame show, and I loved this. Yeah. During the show, Todd Pettengill's about to interview Sean backstage, but they're interrupted by Paul Bearer, and then you come charging in with a casket, and there's a mini brawl. What do you remember about shooting this on a Sunday morning before the paper? Not a single thing. Really? <laughs> Conrad, no, I don't. I, I don't remember that. I don't remember switching over to uh, USA from syndication. I honestly, obviously, it was an angle that needed a little shot in the arm, and maybe that was it. But it also, we were dealing, and this might be something you would have gotten to naturally anyway, uh, we were dealing with an ECW invasion 
the same day that was not really discussed with everyone. It was really, it was held tightly under wraps. And I was told like, hey, the, we don't know. These guys may hit the ring. So be prepared for anything. And I also had to go out in front of the live Wait, crowd. An agent told you that? Yeah, yeah. Be prepared for anything. So if it was uh, dis discussed between parties, I wasn't privy to it. You were just there a year prior. Yeah. Or actually earlier the same year. So it's not like you're not friendly with those guys. Did you think that was a real concern? I did. Okay. I did because I may have been friendly with those guys, but if they think they can make a statement... Ruin your show? Uh, ruin our show. I didn't think whatever respect or kind feelings they had towards me would prevent them from doing that. And I had to go out there and kind of precondition fans in Philadelphia not to cheer for me because that was always an enclave. You know, granted, the WWE audience in 96 was different than the WCW audience in 93, but there was a crossover. And I would say Philadelphia was one of the first great heel towns. Yes. They always liked the character, this Jack character, be it uh, love heel. the horsemen. All yeah, that yeah. Is. All that stuff well before. I mean, you're talking about, I'll have to figure out how many guys had to paint their bodies to spell out the words. Johnny sucks, Shane's, you know, blank. And the fact that they actually had guys willing to be the blank spaces yes. who didn't paint up but were willing to be the blank spaces between the words shows the type of dedication that the Philadelphia Heel fans had. So it was a, it was a concern that I would be cheered. Here I am on, you know, on the day of my biggest match of my career up until that point. And I don't know whether or not ECW wrestlers are going to be hitting the ring during my match. So... When you find out that they did this, I think on a pre-show, yeah. it was with uh, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, JBL as we know him now, wrestling Savio Vega, and I think it's Tommy Dreamer and Sandman and Paulie, and there's a whole beer thing and back and forth, and it's essentially, as I guess people call it, a worked shoot. Mm -hmm. uh, are you relieved that it didn't mess with your main event, or oh, yeah. how quickly do you learn, hey, wait a minute? Well, you know, the one knock on that match is that it did not have a conclusive finish to begin with. Your match. My match. Yeah. So I'm not sure, depending on where the ECW guys were to run in. I mean, as long as it was like after the 20-minute mark, then I think we still have a really strong match in our hands. If they ran in at five or seven, that would have ruined everything. So I thank those guys for not running in. To this day, I don't know actually what went down, but I know it was a genuine concern. Well, it was all a ruse. Bruce Pritchard had uh, worked it out. Uh, Paul knew, Bruce knew, Vince knew. Uh, as Bruce tells the show, Briscoe was uh, pissed and ready to go out there. and Briscoe, yeah, he was to defend the honor of WWE, right? And Bruce grabs him and says, hey, when you get out there, tell Paul Bockwinkle. And that's when Briscoe realized, it's damn it, it's a work. So, but apparently, you know, they didn't want anyone to know. Which and that's the best way to keep a secret. Yes. Look, when um, Soraya uh, Knight arrived in AEW, if it looked like the women in the ring were generally surprised to see know. us because they didn't know. Yeah. And I know that even when I uh, came back to cut a promo with uh, John Moxley and... Uh, Seth, Seth Rollins, I'm getting confused between real and, you know, working names. And even even when you say, I didn't know John Moxley wasn't his real name until I, you know, read it. 
trying to, I put out a tweet following up on where we had said, where I said that Moxley was my uh, MVP. MVP. And I just wanted to make sure I spelled Moxley correctly. And then I came across like a last name of good. And I was like, well, that's, that's, that's news to me. Yeah. Uh, so I met uh, Seth when he was Tyler Black. And that's probably, his real name is Lopez. So I didn't know that until, you know, a handful of years back. Um, but I was brought in and put under cover of secrecy and put on the bus immediately. And so it was just me and Daniel. No, no, it was Daniel Bryan when he was going to be, uh, we were going to be announced as the Raw and SmackDown uh, general managers. So this case, it's just me. And I remember feeling like I was much better prepared when I went out there because it was a secret. Because otherwise, I would have been going around, hanging out, catching up with people at catering, and maybe that edge would have been off. So yeah. I think the best way to make something work is to keep it, you know, secret. Not just for the sake of the the your coworkers backstage, but so that you have that little extra spark yes. and it feels real to you, which yes. will translate in the ring. Uh, I, I've always been fascinated by this, so forgive me, but I, I love to hear how wrestlers refer to themselves or each other, because a lot of times it's based on, Hey, when I worked with this guy, this was his professional name and I'll yeah. always just call him that. But you've been to the movies with, uh, with Becky and, and her <laughs> husband, but you knew him in ring of honor as Tyler black. Even before that on the independence is Tyler black. Yeah. These days he's Seth Rollins. He's the real life Colby Lopez. Do you call him Colby or Seth or <sighs> Tyler? How do you refer to him? when you're going to the a little movies? both. I do call him Colby. I remember specifically asking. And what would you prefer? Yeah. yeah, because I had met him as one and now he's something else. And I, he I think he presented Colby as an option and saying that he would kind of like that. So when I was uh, Cactus Jack, uh, about the only guy in the business who referred to me as Mickey. I don't know when that... I, even when I met my wife in 1990, you know, I was still Mickey. Like I... Uh, probably somewhere around 97 was when Mick, even when JR calls that he, well, not maybe calls it, when he narrates uh, the, uh, the sit down, the, the sit down, he, Mickey Foley was not like the other, the other uh, kids. Uh, so Eddie Gilbert would have met me when I was Mickey and he called me Mickey until the day he died. Wow. And I liked that. Yeah. It's strange when you see someone who has to make the transition from something they've called you for over 20 years like Undertaker, you know, just this one day I was no longer Jack because I'd been Jack the entire time I knew him. And I'd say probably within five years I became Mick. And it still sounded a little strange. So, to be deferential, yeah. I referred to him as Mr. Undertaker, sir. <laughs> because, you know, it feels like, I don't know, the real life Mark Calloway. Is that something you're supposed to say? Like I don't know. I, I've never, I guess because I met him as Mark uh, he was mean Mark Callis. Yeah, him. yeah. That, uh, but at a certain point, he became Taker. It does. It it does to some in some degree matter what you met somebody as. Because um, you don't want to be quote unquote too familiar. You, you don't. Know, nobody wants to be that guy, and if that's his private whatever, yeah, I respect that. It's you. You you arrive at that conclusion by a gut feeling and yes. a. Uh, uh, a general atmosphere, yeah. and then you throw it out there. And one time I mistakenly called Sabu Terry, and he goes, he pointed at Terry Funk, he goes, that's Terry, I'm Sabu. But now even he's Terry Brunk on his uh, on his Twitter. Yeah. So uh, hats off to a guy who 
kept kayfabe longer than all of us. So they mentioned on the pregame show here that Michaels had defeated Vader the night before in Baltimore and you attacked Sean after the match and got the mandible claw on him for the second time. Usually before a big pay-per-view like this, and you mentioned this at the top of the show, you're working on these matches on the house shows. So we're going to get it down pat in front of a smaller crowd. And then when we make the big reveal, here we go. You don't get that opportunity. I think that would be the case for the bigger shows. Yeah. But when you've got the monthly main events, it would not always, you didn't just didn't always have that opportunity. Um, I don't know, you know, I mean, the bookings were, house show bookings were scheduled a few months out and you try to deliver on the matches promises, promise which would be Vader and uh, and Sean. So I, I well, yeah, it was cold. It was a cold match. And it was our first singles match. Um, but it was like, you know, if it was lightning in a bottle, at least we captured it that night and we have it on video. Probably a lot of pressure on both sides. You know, Sean knows that WCW's kicking this show's ass. Yeah. And he knows that we've been preempted and we're definitely playing catch up ball now. And he knows we're wrestling in front of maybe the quote unquote smartest crowd. Mm -hmm. And they're really expecting a big time match from you two. And it's your first big main event for the company. And I'm curious, you know, when we talk about this show, this countdown show, this pregame show, it's superstars, it's Sunday morning. Normally, call time is what, noon, one o'clock, something like that. You're going to be there early in the morning here, mm -hmm. getting to know you this year. I know not necessarily your gig, uh, <laughs> you know, not maybe not a morning guy necessarily. Are you staying at the building the whole day? Are you spending time working on ideas with Sean? Uh, you well, mentioned it the night before. Well, you know what? I remember, uh, oh, man, John Owens was the young man uh, in the audience at ECW shows, and he had a, a service animal uh, and a cane, and he, he handed that crutch or cane to just about every ECW wrestler. If you hadn't hit somebody with uh, John Owens' cane at an ECW show, you hadn't really made it yet. Uh, and John... I remember John, he was, I was, I was really working out diligently. Like I knew this was going to be a major challenge for me from a cardio perspective. So even though I was, you know, at 280, which I think is where I did my best work, like it was probably the best shape. I, oh man, it was one time to me where I didn't call into question my car, my cardio. Like, I remember thinking in the first few minutes, I'm going to be okay. You know, as I'm going all out, I'm still breathing well. But John Owens called me at like 9 o'clock in the morning uh, or 8, 8 a.m. or whatever it was. And I was like, I rate because <laughs> I needed that sleep. I didn't have that much of it. You know, I, I got to the building. I guess it was early. But this was only one of two times that I ever worked on a move before a match. And the only the other time being, I wanted to make sure I could take uh, uh, Car Carlito. I was about to call him Carlos because of his dad. Carlito's finish outside in uh, preparation for a pay-per-view we did you know, many years later. But I needed to be able, I needed to know that I could lift Sean off the second turnbuckle and that he would have room to pivot his body so we could turn a back suplex into a crossbody, and I needed to make sure that I could do that without 
hurting him badly. That move was your idea? That move was my idea. And so that when was- When did you pitch it to Sean? That morning or the day yeah, before? Yeah, probably that day, okay. probably the day of. And I said, I've got this idea, and it just, boom. And Sean was this perfect weight for me, because he was, I don't know what they build him at, but he was probably right around 200, 205 pounds. You know, they probably build him at 20 or 30 pounds heavier. But he was a guy, by nature of that size, that I could do some stuff with that I couldn't do with bigger guys. And this was one of them. So when we came to it, you know, I had the confidence that we could pull it off. And sure enough, you know, lift him up. He turns his body. And at that point, by the standards of the time, that was pretty spectacular stuff. What's up, man? It's AJ Francis reporting to you live from the basketball court in my backyard. Just wanted to say thank you to Conrad for giving me this opportunity to spread the word about my canned food drive this weekend at the University of Maryland in College Park. University of Maryland Terps, go Terps, taking on the number two ranked Michigan Wolverines, okay? But it's not just the game, it's my canned food drive. Everybody coming to the game, please bring canned goods and non-perishables. Even if you're tailgating at the game and there's a bag of chips or something that you didn't happen to use and you want to bring it, bring it to the gate when you go to the game and everybody will be able to benefit from it, man. We're serving Sarah's house, which is a homeless shelter that is, you know, in the city next to where I grew up. It's right across the street from Fort Meade Army Base. A lot of the people in this shelter are children. So we wanna look out for the kids, man. I've been doing this for a long time. This is my seventh year doing the event. And I thank each and every one of you for the opportunity to spread the news. Be blessed, holla at y'all. I'm curious, um, on a long day like that, or do you stay at the arena the entire time? I think so, yeah. Are you trying to catch a nap somewhere, get a quiet Probably spot? Probably not. No, I was. I don't know if I ever caught a nap. What are you doing during the downtime? I mean, if you're there literally 12 hours before the show, how do you fill the time? Obviously, you're going to work on the match a little bit with Sean. I but bring my scrapbooking materials with there me you go. and knock out a couple pages. I would <laughs> Write a couple songs. Have the paper cutter. Yeah, actually, uh, I wrote Mr. In Your House that night. Sure. <laughs> um Vince McMahon is back for commentary on the pay-per-view. Uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the whole ECW invasion angle. Um, let's talk about what Sean, uh, or, or what you wrote about Sean in your book. He actually looked like the perfect opponent for me and that he was everything I wasn't. He was small, handsome, had a great physique. He was athletic and a decent dancer too. He was actually a classic baby face wrapped up inside a nineties attitude. I watched hours of tapes on Michaels, hoping to pick up certain things that, I, that he did. Instead, I learned it wasn't necessarily what he did, but how he did it. Literally, everything he did looked good. I didn't have to worry about copying anyone else. I would just do it my way, and Sean would take care of the rest. The match to be held in Philadelphia at the Core State Center was on my mind every hour of the day. I could, in visual, uh, I could visualize every detail and had no doubt that it would be a tremendous match. Going into the match, I was more confident than ever. I was completely focused, and I knew that I was in shape, a factor that usually haunts me until I step into the ring. So I like that you made it a point to say it wasn't necessarily what he did, yeah. but how he did it. Yeah, you just look at every match he had, and uh, so many of the matches would be tell different stories, and it was just a matter of him making everything he did mean the most and got the most out of. And uh, I did con consciously want to have a type of match that would make him badass. 
Yeah. And that's where some of those ideas came up. Um, uh, the spot where um, like he drop kicks me and I fall underneath the mat. I love that yeah. spot. Uh, and I've seen it done a couple times. I think I've seen it done a couple times in the last 25 years, and I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, there Just was, to remind everybody, you're, you're brawling outside the ring. You go to peel the mat up because you want to take the mats up and you're going to hurt him. Right. And, and you're going to do something on the bare concrete floor. And you know the commentators are going to sell that. And, of course, if you've been watching your career, you know the backstory of Cactus Jack and yep. Vader and the floor mm-hmm. and all that. And once you've got that mat up and it's in front of you, he just drop kicks you. You fall down. The mat's on top of you. And he literally jumps on top. <laughs> It's such a little thing, <laughs> right? but it feels real, Yeah, and it was fantastic. And I remember of everything you guys did in the match, that spot sticks out the most to me. Yeah, except maybe the suplex on the stairs. Yeah. Because that's the first of what I would call the whiplash moves utilizing the steps. So we talked in a, a previous uh, episode of Folius Pod about China power slamming me into the steps. So we were, you know, we had to walk delicately on how to get, you know, a female physically involved. And so it's thought, okay, Hunter's going to, I'm going to whip Hunter. He'll reverse me right towards China and boom, power slam into the steps where I think it was my left leg takes the brunt of the blow, but hopefully in a flat manner. And, um, yeah, that was, uh, I don't know if anyone had done that before. So it was I've never new. Seen it. And it, that was the case where it was so effective because it was the first time anyone had seen it and it looked so good. Then you go back, it made a heck of a noise. And I mean, I was sore for sure after that, but my calf landed flat and uh, so it made a heck of a noise. Uh, didn't injure me, but it certainly hurt. And it really added to the element of that match because at that point, Sean started working that, that left leg. Yep. And what was interesting about that match, one of the things is that later on he went to working the mandible claw fingers so that even when I did have a chance to apply the mandible claw, maybe it wasn't given with the same amount of effect because he had been dissecting my fingers. You know, even like I can't remember, you know, it's one of the things I couldn't do where he had the two fingers split and he did some type of thing and it looked like he broke my fingers. You he know? stomped it. And yeah, everything. he stomped, he did everything, you know. You did some really cool stuff. And um, and just to add context, because I feel like we've seen it so many times now that it sort of gets glossed over. But this is one of the first times we saw the Spanish announce table being used. Was it? Uh, I'm not saying it's the first. I mean, we remember a yeah. lot of us, you know, the Brett and Diesel thing where he goes head first. And there had been moments, but you're in Philadelphia, the home of Sabu and ECW and yeah. Public Enemy, and they're known for breaking tables, but it's still rare and new and fresh for a WWE audience. And it wasn't as if a table was drug into the ring. It, it, we use the Spanish announcers. Yes. One regret I have is that we may have tipped our hat too early in the match. You know, I always want a defendable answer or reasonable answer as to why didn't the Spanish announcers just pull the table back? Yeah. And I'll go with, I'd put the fear of mankind into them. But it was there for seven or eight minutes where they sat down at the adjusted table without moving it back. But that's how we got it where we wanted it. And I would say, you know, you can... Yeah, it was enough slack was cut on us that people didn't call into question 
the legitimate legitimacy of the table. Whose idea is the table spot? Like I said, Sean was really open to suggestions, so I think that was mine. Um, Did it matter that it was in Philadelphia? Would you have done the table spot no matter where you were? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, when I got into that really powerful idea of visualizing, and I don't know if I had an, you know, an ability to do it. I've said on my live shows that I did, that uh, that was one of my, you know, my major um, attributes is that I could see these things taking place in my head so that I did not have to practice them or write them out. And that if I can make a match come across like I wanted it to in my head, then it was going to be a big success. And on this night, it was even better than I thought it would be. Just a fantastic match. If you've not seen it, by all means, go out of your way to watch it. Um, now, we do – this is something uh, – I talked about Edge and Christian did a podcast where they would go back to famous matches. Yes. And I'm so glad they had Sean on air with me. And he said, the way I approached a spot we did in the corner, he said it was very diplomatically. I said, Sean, uh, do you know how from time to time you may lose your temper in a match? And he said, yeah. I said, what if we did a spot to make people believe you had lost your temper, especially you survivor? Uh, uh, SummerSlam was, what, a month before? Yes. Or, yeah, it was a month, month before. Uh so I, I, going ahead a year and a half, I catch up with Tommy Dreamer and a few of the ECW guys, because in our world, you might not see someone for a couple of years, but you, you ride along, you pick up exactly where you were, and Tommy goes, Cactus, let me ask you something. I said, what? He goes, how did you maintain your cool when Sean snapped on you after you missed that spot in the corner? Because spot was I shoot him into the corner he does the handstand as if he's expecting me to go underneath him when he turns around and I'm not there he berates me and he slaps me in the face and then I drop him with a forearm to his credit it's uh uh I'm looking for a word uh, I'm not coming up with the word but I will I will post it afterwards um but it means it's counterintuitive Counterintuitive is the word I'm looking for. I don't know if that's two words or one word with a hyphen. We might uh, we can make check on that. Okay. Counterintuitive for the heel to get the best of an exchange. But that to me was what lent legitimacy to it because it's like, oh, wait, if this was a wrestling spot, the, the baby face isn't coming out on the losing end of an argument over a mess up. And so when I said to Tommy, I said, what? He goes, no, Sean berated you. He slapped you around. I said, Tommy, that was a spot. And he goes, what? I said, that was a design spot. And he made like the fish hook symbol, like he had fallen for a hook, line, and sinker. And it really did. At that time, you know, there wasn't as much of a knowledge that Sean could could get angry. And I think uh, the blow up with Vader was basically like just to the real smart fans of that era. But even with that being said, I think there was an idea or an acknowledgement among the fans that it had happened and therefore it was real when it happened again. I know I'm just saying there was no you know, recognition of it and then saying there somehow was, but I feel like there was or else I would not have suggested it, that it, we weren't just doing it for the smart fans watching or the people who read the, the sheets, but we were doing it for that audience in particular 
in Philadelphia. And it showed the badass edge you were trying to show with yeah. Michaels, not just the baby face, but right. the hard ass. And we recently, or I guess it was last year, we talked about this match with uh, Bruce Pritchard. And he couldn't wait to hear Meltzer's write-up because he remembered that spot. And he hoped that he would say, oh, they forgot a spot. It was a botch. Meltzer didn't write that. Ah. But he did write this. As he went for the pin, Michael strangely got up and started punching Vader for the DQ. My guess is Vader was supposed to interfere at the count of two, but was a tad slow and they had to improvise. As Michaels took care of Vader, Paul Bearer hit Michaels with the urn. Sid then ran in, chased Vader to the back. Bear used the urn. Mankind sat up a la Undertaker and went to put Michaels in the casket. But when they opened the lid, the Undertaker got out of the casket and chased Mankind to the back. A super match, but the weak ending kept it from being match of the year. Four and three quarter stars. So there you see Meltzer says, probably match of the year if it had a clean finish. Uh, were you disappointed? When, when they hand you the finish that it's going to be a DQ, would you have rather? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I would have. I, I never suffered by putting people over clean, but it was clearly uh, with the looking forward to uh, Buried Alive. Yes. I mean, I looking back, I would have rather just done a clean finish. Yeah. But they were doing what they thought was best for that match. And I think, you know, my feeling was, look, I'm so sorry, man. You're going to main event the next pay-per-view. The main next event month. the next pay-per-view that uh, I know that I've only got control over. It's a 26-minute match. Sean and I have control over 25 minutes and 45 seconds. Like, it's the best It's the best you can do for it. You know, yes. you, you can only do what's in your control. So I don't think I would have uh, – I don't know if I would have lobbied for a clean finish. I understood why it was done. But I, I never really took exception to people who – uh, who didn't appreciate it as much as they would have if there had been a clean finish. Do you remember ever campaigning to get a finish changed where you lost? We hear a lot of people talk about it the other way. So you're saying where I... Uh, no, no, Mr. McMahon, I want to lose this one. I don't want to be... I don't want it to be a DQ. Just let him beat me. We hear campaigning the other direction. Yeah, I... I'm sure there was, and I will try to come up with a uh, another um, with an example. But I will tell you about a match, you know, where things changed in mid course, and that was uh, Worcester, Mass uh, against Dwayne. You know, I just got the sense that I wanted to take that title home with me, and I told Dwayne, "We can do this the easy way or the hard way." Yeah, and uh, you doed it up. And I doed it are. up, and uh, the rest is history. So if he wants to debate that. Uh, Put down your soft drinks and come on, <laughs> right? Bring it. Uh, maybe we could invite him when we exfoliate your ear. He would love to be. We a gotta part call of, it yeah, to exfoliate <laughs> the ear. Um, do you remember Vader being slow uh, on that? Yes, I don't. I don't. I he has you pinned. He sees Vader. And he gets up. Yeah, I mean, we can. Are we allowed to show more than two second clips here? You know what? Let's roll the dice. All right, roll the dice and say we are explaining it. I'd have to go back and, you know, here's the thing. I, if I watched everything, uh, I would have a different perspective. So I'm giving you the perspective of what I re remember happening. That's what we want. And what I, I might have a different answer if I saw that, but I don't recall that he was late. Uh, um, I honestly, honestly don't. So, one of the best matches of all time, certainly of this era, 
you loved it. You wrote in your book, the match itself was even better than I ever could have expected. The pace was tremendous. The timing was perfect. The story was well told. The crowd was hot and the execution was excellent. We put 27 minutes into what was undoubtedly the finest match of my career. There's no doubt in my mind it was the best match of the year and one of the greatest Ooh. in history. Unfortunately, wow. it goes often overlooked when classic matches are talked about because it was a match with no real history on a card that was relatively free of hype and ended with a finish that many didn't like. While it's true that the run-in ending featuring Vader, Psycho said, and The Undertaker did furnish the match a little bit, I don't think it should distract from the other 26 minutes and 45 seconds that we worked so hard on. I think it should also be noted that Mind Games in Philadelphia in September of 96 is the first time that Shawn Michaels and Mick Foley had ever faced each other in any way, shape, or form. It was truly a special night, and try as I might, I don't think I've ever been quite that good again. This match is also on a short list of the best three things I've ever done in wrestling. So a couple things. Maybe those tag matches took place after that Mind Games match, because if I wrote that, uh, I mean... I was not wrong. I mean, I might be wrong with my opinions, and I'm wondering if I would ever boldly declare that something I did was the best thing that happened that year. I think I'd be safer feeling it was the best thing match I had that year. Uh, but it'd be up there, I think, with matches of the year. Uh, and something I was really, really proud of. And I would say, you know, when it was one of the top three things I had done in wrestling, that's that's the way I felt up until I retired. And then, uh, you know, Randy and I had that big match, and, and uh, Edge and I, I'm not sure if my match with Edge would be on the top five things I've done, but it was really, really satisfying to come up with that uh, match at Mania. But I will say mind games, if you go back, there's this sequence of moves, ends up with me catching myself in the ropes, Sean comes over, and bam, the mandible claw, and I just remember thinking like, this is as good as it gets for me, you know, not having, there are other guys who can do it like clockwork now, giving the physical skills, but this was somewhere the timing had to be perfect. That's a real, that's a tough move to pull off that hangman, you know, which is why so few people do it. And also there's a consequence for it as we can see, but, but it's a great story. Yeah. And, and, and in that match, you, you're in, you're in bad shape because you're in a hangman. Yeah. But you care less about your well-being and more right. about inflicting it on him. Mm -hmm. So in the middle of you being in excruciating pain in a very precarious situation, whatever, I can hurt him. I'm I can hurt him. Chance. And now one of the uh, little uh, signals for the very uh, knowledgeable fan to look for is that when I sink the mandible claw in on Sean, while he's selling, he's actually helping, helping me out. get out of the ropes. So as he's selling, that's how good he was. As he's selling, he's pulling them apart so that I can squeeze my head out without losing another. Another ear. <laughs> yeah, another ear. Uh, Sean wrote this in his book. By September, I was completely stressed out and going into the Mind Games pay-per-view against Mankind Mick Foley. This was a one-shot deal and my only real professional experience with him. Mick had a different and unique style with the deranged madman character he was portraying, and I liked it. Mick's character allowed my character to get a little aggressive, and I needed that as much as possible. Mick was very pleasant to work with and very good. I won by DQ. With all the brawling, it certainly wasn't a traditional Shawn Michaels match, but it's one of my all-time favorites. Ah, that's really good. Uh, I saw in writing, you know, where he praised it real highly, and 
put it up there with the best things he'd done. And that was really telling to me because I didn't know how he felt about over the yeah. years. This day, I've never had a crossword with Sean. It's really interesting because we're not the type of guys who keep in touch, even though my son loved working with he, he and Sean worked really closely together with NXT. Um, and Sean really liked my son and Dewey, my son, he really liked working with Sean. The last time was I was at NXT, I came by, this is, uh, uh, when the Undisputed Arrow was still together, because I remember instead of going in and watching, uh, you know, the the matches and watching guys in the ring, we sat in a boardroom with Sean's class of guys, about twelve to fifteen guys, and we watched, believe it or not, the uh, sit down interview with Jim Ross, because when uh, Sean he he texted me, you know, I think he even said, hey, I got this number from so-and-so. Hope you don't mind. As if I'm going to mind getting a text message from Shawn Michaels. And he said, I just saw the videos you did with Jim Ross in 97. I'll be honest, like I wasn't watching wrestling or I didn't see it at that point. But what you did was just amazing. It was a different take on the childhood dream. And so we dissected those segments in front of the class because it's every little thing that you can find to help you get an edge, you know, when it comes to, you know, performing in the ring, getting on the microphone, that makes a difference between a great wrestler and a, you know, and a real superstar. And uh, so we got together for those three or four hours and it was an amazing time together. And then every time I've seen him since then, hey, Sean, how you doing? Great to see you. But you can just come out of the blue to reconnect, you know, and you remember you've got this history together and this magic that in my case, like I said, I just pointed out because it was unusual for someone who did live through the sh bad Sean era. Yeah. To not have ever had a negative interaction with him. And we did not. Well, you did a lot of business. Strong crowd. 15,000 fans there. 11,969 paid $210,290. All-time records for an in-your-house live gate. <laughs> That's why I am. Come on. Let's cue up this good chorus. Can we do that in post? Yes. In your house. Mr. In Your House. In Your House. Your House. Sometimes. The show does 131,000 buys. It was up from the previous in your house in July, which did ninety nine thousand. Whoa! Guys. And it was a cold match. Come on, cold match. Uh, and this was, I think, one of my goals, which was to headline a pay per view that did overall. I believe it was a one point is what I was looking to do. So that was a big deal for me. As a frame of reference, SummerSlam, arguably the second biggest show of the year behind WrestleMania. Only did 157,000 buys. Really? So a tiny little dip here for you, but my gosh, what a great match. Uh, boys and girls, if you've never seen it, what are you doing? Stop what you're doing. Go watch on Peacock. Four and three quarter stars. You know, listen, I know it's just one dude's opinion. I'm going to say, damn it, let's give him the extra quarter star. It's about as perfect of a wrestling match as you can do. I may have relied on the left kick to the stomach a little too often as my cutoff. That was my... And I faded in the last couple minutes, I you know, uh, McCardio point, to where I didn't think I was properly selling the thing. You know, I'm I'm pretty nitpicky and pretty tough on myself. Uh, but when I say that Mr. In Your House is one of the top three things I've ever done, yeah, the, it's... <laughs> hey, you know what? I mean, I think the Mr. In Your House song, Hell in a Cell, 
<laughs> the, uh, the JR backlash, the yeah, JR yeah. interviews, and mind games. Yeah, that's Man. a good top five to have, right? It's solid, yeah. solid. Well, listen, if you're looking for a top five moment, can I recommend Cameo? Uh, I, I don't know that necessarily we're doing one today. We're not just doing one today because service announcement. Yeah, I love I love doing these cameos, and uh, I'm always looking to make them as good as they can possibly be. When I was at my mom, my visiting my mom, uh, I did have the ring light you gave me, but I also realized, uh, you know, when you just have a harsh overhead light, it's very shadowy. So I might start out with a little mankind or dude, but I would end up doing, and you know, my phone stopped working, the external mic. So you see me on here with that four pound yes. uh, tablet. I'd have to lay down on the bed to allow the better lighting to come through and still manage to come out with And some... you're thrifty, right? Isn't that what I've heard? Not as thrifty as I once was. The, those days are long. You realize time. you could have just went to Verizon and got a new phone, Mick. Oh, I haven't had time. It's a time matter. It's literally, I've been, Conrad, I uh, mean. Well, let me just have this. Okay. It, it's way f more fun in my mind to think that you just went around using an <laughs> iPad for months. <laughs> and maybe you're trying to figure out how to hold that thing and take calls like it's Andre the Giant's phone. That's way more fun than just I'm busy. Uh, but the truth is. I've been, man, I've been pushing it. But Kevin Sullivan said when I debuted in WCW, I was burning the candle at both ends and in the middle. So I've been really pushing it, you know, with this mystery show that, that may or may about. not be airing on A&E. Uh, A &E. uh, you know, I think it, I do really enjoy coming here in studio, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a hike. Uh, so Two I'm, hours each way. Yeah, yeah. And I'm traveling every, you know, just I'm traveling a lot. Like my wife and kids went to a musical music festival in Louisville and they're coming back home today. I haven't seen them in two weeks. Oh, wow. And she's like, when will I see you again? I was like, it'll be another two weeks. So I'll go even in 2022, I'm going a month at a time without seeing my wife. So, so when but, you leave here, uh, you're, you're going to a top secret location in yeah. what area of the world? With what area? What area of the world Ooh, will you be? Uh, we're going down to Florida, okay. where as of this time, there is a threat of a serious uh, weather issue. and uh, Supposedly, a couple days from now, it's going to get hit by a hurricane. Yes. So I'm going to take that opportunity to visit with my daughter, Noelle, for a couple days. And we'll just uh, batten down the hatches. We're, she's not on the coast. So we'll probably get a lot of rain, which isn't to say she might not lose power. But I don't think uh, Central Florida is a threat. Is is In threatened? A lot of yeah, fire, yeah, yeah. Well, listen. Uh, we hope that you guys have enjoyed our look back and a fantastic match. Uh, I don't think that I'll ever get tired of talking about this one. I've talked about it with Jr. I've talked about it with Tony. I've talked about it with Bruce. I've talked about it with you. One of my all-time favorite matches. Always such a treat. I love that new song. We're going to have to play it every single week. And I think since we established, you set an all-time record, we should have you play us out here. So we're going to do that in post. And we'll be back next week talking about Bill Watts right here on Foley's History in your house. In your house. In your house. Yeah. In your house.